Trinity Baptist Church. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on their way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out, of the, came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during their journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Angela. Good morning. If you are visiting with us today, we are in week eight of a series called Taking New Ground, where we have been uh, walking through the book of Joshua and learning some things about what it means for us to take new ground in our lives spiritually. And I, th- I think I said this earlier in the series, but maybe I didn't. Um, the book of Joshua is really has three major sections. Chapters 1 through 5 are about Israel's preparation. It's about getting ready to, to go in and conquer the land. Chapters 6 through 12 are about the conquest itself, what Israel has to do to, to actually take over the new ground, to inhabit it. And then um, 13 through the end of the book are about the occupation, what it means to establish themselves in this new land. And so as we're going through this book, we are learning some things about preparing to take new ground spiritually, what it means for us to actually do it, and then we're going to find out what we have to do to establish ourselves there. So as we've been looking at these first five chapters, we've, we've learned some things that we need to do to prepare if we're going to step into that abundant life that God has for us, the, the more is better life. We've, been, we've talked about courage, we've talked about um, being in the scriptures and doing things God's way, we've, we've talked about having risk-taking faith. Last week we talked about having trophies where we remember what God has done, where we, where we set some, um, have some um, 
things that we look to say, okay, if God did this in my past, then he can do this in my future. And that's all about preparation. This morning we are we're wrapping up this preparation section, looking at Joshua chapter 5, which really is all about remembering. And just as last week, the idea of, of having trophies that helped us remember so that we could move forward, that, that theme is still in chapter 5. So this morning there are three specific things that we're going to see from chapter 5 that we need to remember so that we can have the courage and the, the strength and the boldness and, and the motivation then to move forward into this, this new life, this, this new ground that God is calling us to spiritually. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 5. And I want us to um, walk through this text that Angela has read for us. And let me just say this. It is critical that we remember. Remembering is, is not about living in the past where we were, but remembering gives us motivation. It gives us courage. It gives us confidence as we move forward. And so as we look at these things this morning, it is, it is critical that we get these. All right? Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the first thing that we need to remember. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Now you might remember, hopefully you'll remember, because it was only last week when we looked at chapter 4, where Joshua told the nation in verse 24 the reason that God had dried up the Jordan. Remember what he said? He said, um, He did this so that the peoples of all the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Did that happen? Yeah, everybody in Canaan was, was scared spitless because of this God that, that Israel had. Last Sunday, I, I asked you to spend some time thinking of the things that, that God had done in your life and, and creating some trophies that would help you remember his past activity that would give you confidence to move forward. And I hope you did that. But we need to take it a step further. Um, we need to ask ourselves, have those activities in our lives borne witness to the power of God in our life? Have those, have those things that God has done in me um, get, have they given evidence to people around me of who God is? Have they given me platform to speak of, of the power of my God? There's this great story in Acts chapter 3 and 4 where Peter and John heal, heal this uh, crippled beggar. And, and 
people come around and it says that they were astonished at, at this and, and they asked by what power they were able to, to heal this guy. And so what does Peter do? Well, Peter immediately begins to preach, right? And as he begins to preach, telling them that it is because of the power of Jesus that they were able to heal this guy, people came to faith. And then it says in verse 2, it says that the, um, the Jewish leaders were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so they throw Peter and John into jail. Um, Well, the next day, the elders and the teachers of the law, they come together and they decide that they're going to question Peter and John. And it says in verse 7 of Acts chapter 4, it says, By what power or what name did you do this? And I want you to hear Peter's response. He says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is, speaking of Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then I love verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that. But it's kind of convicting. Because do people look at my life and do they see the power of God so on display in my life that they take note that I've been with Jesus? When people look at your life, do they see the work of God in your life? And they take note that you've been with Jesus. Friends, if we're going to take new ground in our lives, um, the first thing that we need to remember is that we have been saved for a purpose. God didn't, God didn't save us so that we could become, you know, um, a mantelpiece or, or put, put us in the, you know, the Christian museum. He saved us for a purpose. He saved us so that we, so that we could spend time with our Savior, so that we would be so transformed, so radically changed by Him that people would see us and, and see Him in us and they would be, be pointed to the power of God in our lives. And that we would be able to, to reflect Him and represent Him in everything we do. That's not just true in here on Sunday morning when, as Beth said, you're singing this way and the choir's singing this way and we all kind of have this Christian love fest, you know, just where... 
This needs to be true on Monday. It needs to be true on Tuesday. And if we're going to represent Him well and demonstrate His power well, we need to remember that we've been saved for a purpose. God's miraculous work in bringing Israel across the Jordan is nothing compared to the miraculous work that He has done in our lives of taking us from death to life. Do we bear witness to that miraculous power? Do people see it on display in us so that we are pointing them to Him? We need to remember that we've been saved for a purpose so that um, we can point people to Christ. There's another thing that we need to remember. Now, I know that sometimes my, my thinking may not be real logical, but I want you to think logically with me this morning, all right? Um, given that the nations that Israel was called to conquer were now shaking in their sandals, wouldn't it make sense for them, for, for Israel to launch an immediate offensive and go in and, and conquer these demoralized nations? Okay, let me ask that again. Wouldn't it make sense if these people are scared to death to go in while they're demoralized and take them over? Sure it would. But was that God's plan? Look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth, which literally means hill of the foreskins. I'm just saying. Now, I don't know about you gentlemen, but just reading this text makes me a little bit queasy. I mean, these are grown men. These are men who are ready for battle. But God says, hang on a second. Before you go in and take new ground, I want you to remember who you are. The second thing we need to remember is who we are. You see, circumcision was the covenant sign of the nation. God had, had called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, Genesis chapter 12, and he'd made a covenant with him. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God had made sacrifice to establish that covenant or to, to enact that covenant. And then in Genesis chapter 17, he called Abraham to have all of the men, of, all of his descendants circumcised as a mark of that covenant. It was, it was the mark of, of Israel that they were to be a holy nation. They were, they were set apart. They were um, to, to represent Christ, or represent God and who they were. Uh, they were set apart 
And now, just as they are about to go into this land that is filled with people who, who worship idols and serve idols, God tells Joshua, I want you to make sure these guys remember who they are. That they are mine. They are separate. They are, they are to be holy. They are to represent me in, in who they are. Verses, seven, verses 4 through 7 explain the reason why they need to do this. And, and Angela read it, uh, so we won't read it again. But essentially, it was because for, for the 40 years in the wilderness, the, the men of military age hadn't, hadn't been circumcised. Um, God had, had allowed them to wander so that all of, all of these men had died in the wilderness and now there was this new generation that had grown up and they hadn't been circumcised along the way. And so now it was time for that to happen. They needed to remember who they were. And I love verse 8. It says, And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. You think? <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, I'm, these guys aren't going anywhere for a little while, right? Um, verse 9, God, God himself explains this wonderful aspect of how important this sign of the covenant is. He says, the Lord... Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal literally means rolled away. Just as the foreskins of all of these men had been cut away, God says that symbolically and spiritually... All the reproach, all the failure, all the shame, all the guilt, all the humiliation that they had carried for 38 years in the wilderness was now rolled away. It was gone. Friends, the same is true of us. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2. It says, in him, in Jesus... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having nailed them to the cross. Friends, we too have been marked as God's people. We too have had a circumcision, not done by human hands in the flesh, but, but of our hearts. And just as their circumcision rolled away all of that guilt and shame and humiliation of the wilderness, friends, the same thing has happened in the cross of Jesus Christ for us. All of our guilt, 
all of our failure, all of our shame, all of, all of our humiliation has been forgiven. It has been nailed to the cross. We are whole people in him. We are his. Last week, and when we looked at chapter 4, we saw the nation... Um, we saw that the, the nation passing through the Jordan was symbolic or, or foreshadowed our own baptism. And, and how when we go through the water, go into the water, um, we die to sin and, and we die to that old life, that wilderness life, that, that life that's on the other side. And when we come out of the water, when we come out on the Gilgal side, we, all of that's been rolled away and, and now we have new life in Him. Friends, this idea of circumcision is symbolic of, of now moving forward into that new life. It means that we now um, practically live out the, the reality of what takes place in baptism, what takes place in salvation. We need to remember that the old sinful patterns of living and behaving and thinking, um, they're gone. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. And that as we reckon ourselves alive to God, that now the, the... our bodies then are to be used um, as instruments of righteousness. Friends, that's what, that's what circumcision is. That, that we cut off the old and we move into the new. We need to remember that we've been saved for a purpose. We need to remember who we are that we are a holy people brought from death to life. And in verse 10, um, he it just reinforces that. It says on, in verse 10, on the, the evening of the 14th day of the month, and we know from chapter 4 that this is the first month of the Jewish year. On, on the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. We know from Exodus chapter 12 that that is the exact day that God prescribed that Israel should celebrate Passover on the 14th day of the first month. Now, do you think it's coincidence that God um, orchestrates the timing of the crossing of the Jordan and the move into Canaan right at to coincide with Passover? Think that's coincidence? Of course not. God wants to give them one more reminder of who they are. You are my people. I have saved you. I have delivered you. I am the one who brought you out of slavery and into freedom. Friends, we need to remember who we are. At this point, If you are 
part of this nation. And you've got these challenges in front of you. How are you feeling about those challenges? It's not a rhetorical question. Have faith. It's all good. Right? If I'm thinking, if I'm remembering what God has done, that He saved me for a purpose, and He's demonstrated His power, and, and I am His child, and I remember that because I've been circumcised, and I remember that because of the Passover. I remember that I am His. No matter what's look, looming in front of me, how am I feeling about that? Pretty good. I'm feeling confident. Friends, you got challenges tomorrow. Amen? You got work challenges. You've got family challenges. You've got relationship challenges. You may have health challenges. Um, just go down the list. Um, you, and you may not even have to wait till tomorrow. They may be there this afternoon, right? But guess what? God has saved you for a purpose, and you are His child, and He has done all this stuff. You need to remember that so that you can walk into what's ahead. Whatever, what, whatever that is that's ahead. We need to keep things in proper perspective. We need to take the time to remember. Remember the covenantal relationship that we are in because of what Christ did for us. We need to remember our baptism and what that means. We need to remember what, what coming to the table each Sunday means for us. That it's not just ritual, but this is a reminder of, of who Jesus is and what He has done so that we can be His. When we can keep those things in the forefront of our mind, no matter what is in front of us, will be daunting. I want you to notice verses 11 and 12. Something very dramatic happens as soon as Israel celebrates the Passover. It says, the day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. What does that say to you? What it says to me is that God, God essentially tells the nation, um, folks, it's time to grow up. I'm not going to spoon feed you anymore. It's time for you to, to grow up, to mature, to step into this new land that I've, I've given you. And by the way, it's a land flowing of milk and honey. By the way, it's... The fruit of this land is amazing. By the way, 
this is the abundant life I've called you to, but guess what? You got to move into it. You have to take it. Friends, if we're going to experience the abundant life that Christ came to give us, the more is better life, we have to move forward in order to enjoy the fruit of that new land. One last thing that we need to remember. We need to remember that we were saved for a purpose. We need to remember who we are. And we need to remember whose we are. And there's a little distinction here. Look at verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Who is the commander of the Lord's army? Jesus Christ. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when the guys come to to get him and and Peter steps up and whacks off the, the you know the soldier's ear and 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 Jesus says don't do that. And then he heals the puts the ear back on, you know. Um remember what Jesus said? He said, look, if I wanted to to be defended, I could call down 12 legions, 72,000 angels to come. Because I'm in charge of them. Friends, the commander of the Lord's army is Jesus Christ. And Joshua here sees this pre-incarnate Lord. And while... I'm sure he's not connecting all the dots. He knows that he is in the presence of God. And so he calls him Lord. And just as Moses had taken off his sandals in the presence of God, so does Joshua. Um, But I I love the response of Christ here. Because when Joshua says, who are you for? Are you on our side or on the other guy's side? What does Christ say? Neither. You see, the question isn't whose side is God on. The question is, whose side am I on? I think often we have the tendency to want to come to God and ask Him to be on our side, right? God, I want you to, to marshal your um, power for my agenda. 
I want you to do my thing. I want you to, to help me move forward. I want you to, to help this thing that I've got planned to be fruitful. And God says, yeah, that's not really how it works. See, it's not a matter of me being on your side. The question is, are you on mine? The question is, where is your allegiance? See, what we need to remember, we need to remember whose we are. That if we have been saved by faith um, in in, in Jesus Christ, we are His. And He is God and we are not. And when we come to Him, we need to remember that it's our allegiance that is in question, not His. Friends, regardless of our bent, we need to realize that the God in our minds is always smaller than the true and living God. And if we are actually dealing with God and not merely going through the religious motions of it, we will constantly be surprised and stretched by Him. When we pray, especially in times of trial, we need to get beyond asking Him for His, his allegiance to get us through. But we need to get to the place where we remember that we are His. And that we we need to rely on Him for whatever is to come next. I I just love Joshua's posture. Here is Joshua, the leader of Israel, and this man who's just led the nation across the Jordan. But he knows his place. He recognized the commander for who he is. He worshipped him. um, And he recognized that he was simply God's servant. You see, Joshua knew who he was. And he also knew whose he was. He knew that he had been saved for a purpose and that God... and that the God who had done all that he'd already done um, could do anything he wanted to in his life. Do you know people like that? Do you know people who... Who spend time with with God. Who spend time with the Savior. And because they do, they know who they are. And they know whose they are. Do, Do you see the fruit that happens in their life? Do you see the the success, the the fulfillment that they experience in life? Am I speaking into a vacuum? Do you know people like this? Um, Do you know why that's true? 
It's because people that remember these things, it's these people that God gives his battle plans to. It's these kind of people who, who God then moves forward. And they then are able to go in and enjoy the fruit of the land. I had dinner with a friend on Sunday night who said, um, Keith, when you speak, you always have to connect Sunday to Monday. You need to tell me the so what of what we talked about so that when I go to work on Monday morning, I'll know what to do with it. So let me connect some dots just so that we're crystal clear. Um, If you really want the more is better life that we talked about in the fall, if you really want the abundant life that Jesus said in John 10, 10, he came to give us, if you really want to experience um, the fullness of life that is only found in Christ, there's some things you need to do to prepare for that. And that is, got to remember this. And so, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when you get up, you need, to, you need to spend some time with your sandals off on the ground in front of the commander of the Lord's army. And you need to say, Lord, it's not about me getting you to help me with my stuff. It's about the fact that you've saved me for a purpose. It's about the fact that that as I go to work today, I'm going to have some challenges. Uh, Some of them are going to be professional. Some of them are going to be relational. Um, But I'm going to have some stuff in front of me today that I need to remember who I am. And I need to remember whose I am. And I need for you, Lord, to show me what it looks like in, in this particular, this specific thing to represent you well. Because I know, Lord, that, that if, I can, if I will represent you well, then you will enable me to take new ground and enjoy the fruit of that land. Do I need to get more specific than that? Can you fill in the gaps on what that challenge is for tomorrow? Um, friends, Christianity is, is about walking with the commander of the Lord's army every day, not just when we're in here. And so, as next week we're going to move into this next section of Joshua about conquest. But I want you to spend some time, maybe this afternoon, maybe over the next couple of days, just kind of reviewing what does it mean for me to prepare so that I can, I can walk confidently and faithfully into this new place that God has has for me because that new place is awesome.
It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It is the abundant life. Let me pray for us. Lord, it's, it's, um, it's pretty cool that we get to come in here on Sunday mornings and, and be family and be comfortable with each other and know that we are in a safe place. We are in a place where we are loved and, and that no matter what we bring into this place, this, um, this space is holy. This space is, is safe. This space is where we can meet with you. But Lord, we have to leave here. And we have to walk into the challenges of, of Monday. And so I, I pray, Lord, that as we come to the table, that this would not be um, ritual, but this would be a, a, a reminder of who we are, of whose we are, and that we have been saved for a purpose. And Lord, as we remember those things, we would have the confidence to move into tomorrow, to let your power be on display in our lives, so that when given opportunity, we can say there is one name by which we, by which we must be saved, and that one name is Jesus. Lord, we pray this for your name's sake. Amen.